0: Hey now, welcome to another edition of the Inside BS Show. My name is Dave Lorenzo, and we're talking about the thing that's on everybody's mind today, not inflation, but related to inflation, and that's mortgages. We are entering a weird time for real estate. We'll talk to our guest about that, but this is a time where I think you're going to start to see better deals come on the market. But you're really going to have to work hard to get a really good loan, and that's why our guest today is the perfect person for us to speak with. We're going to talk about getting a loan for a new home, maybe a home for yourself, maybe for an investment property. Actually, we'll talk about the difference in applying for a loan for both of those. To qualify for a good loan, we're going to talk about the secrets, the things that you don't know that the insiders know. That's why you've come here. So please join me in welcoming Craig Oxen to the Inside BS Show. Craig, thank you for joining us today. Now, help me out here. I want to make sure I get your name right. You said it was, it was, is it the number eight in German? So say it for us. It's number eight. Oxane. Okay. Craig Oxane. I want you to go in the show notes.
1: And I, you know, I'm grateful that you're on today. What the hell
0: is going on? Mortgages there. It's like, and like I I woke up from my nap and the rates went up like a point and a half. Like, what is happening here? Explain it to me.
1: You know, um, Rates have been at all time lows over the pandemic. We we had thirty year fixed interest rates in the twos and threes, and they were low, low all time, you know, that they've ever been. So we all kind of knew rates had to come up. Um, and obviously mortgage rates behave like bonds. They're they're debt like anything else. So they have been on the rise really on the past, in the past, you know, I would say three to four months. And I like you, I went on vacation a couple of Probably about a month ago, and when I came back, I was like, "Wow, what happened to rates they they jumped up a whole point um and with everything going on in the economy right now, whether it's inflation or just straight up panic, uh, rates continue to climb and they will probably continue to climb for a little bit now, you know we could talk about rate activity and then in the future, but you know if we are headed toward a recession, normally rates come down during a recession so we'll
0: see where they go. And, you know, Craig, I'm not, I'm just a, I'm just a real estate novice, but correct me if I'm wrong on this. The rate that I get today is really probably only my rate for a year or two, because you can help me refinance if I'm not happy with that rate and rates come down. Right. And now it's time once again for the Sandrowski business minute. And today we have tax expert, Catherine Raker. All right, Catherine, do I need to pay quarterly estimates on my taxes? And how do I know when it's Time for me to pay quarterly estimates because I think most people just think of taxes as a once a year thing.
1: That's a good question. Um, So, and it all depends on the facts and circumstances. If you're a W 2 employee where your employer takes regular withholding, you likely don't need to pay quarterly taxes. However, if most of your income comes from investment or self employment, you should be paying quarterly estimates. The government likes to and that's why withholdings work so well because it's a weekly or a monthly withdrawal. But the quarterly payments on your investments, your investment income, or on your self-employment income are necessary to keep you from paying underpayment penalties.
0: Ooh, nobody wants those underpayment penalties. Okay, that'll do it for today's Sandrowski Business Minute. If you need help with this or any other tax-related issue, please call 866-717-1607. 866-717-1607 that's 866-717-1607 Sandrowski Corporate Advisors they're a CPA firm with a different perspective
1: That's correct I always tell folks you can you can refinance at any point in time after you've bought a place you know ride the rates down and as a lender I always tell my past clients I'll do it for free you know it's I, I want to hold on to you as a client I want to be your lender for what not just for this transaction so if anybody's considering buying a house right now, don't let rates scare you away.
0: Yeah. So you can like, I, I remember, and I I, I told the story, I think in a in a meeting that we were in at the beginning of the meeting a couple of months ago, or maybe a month ago, I remember my parents buying a home like during the Carter administration, and I think their interest rate was like 13% or 14%. And I remember asking my father about it when I bought my first home, and my father was like, "Well, we we only had that rate for a couple of years." He's like, "We, you know, he's like I, you know, I held my nose and and made the payments for a few years on it." He's like, "But once we refinanced, we got into a they got into a rate that was like three or four points lower." Then they refinanced it again, and then years later they pulled equity out to send the kids to college. So, I mean. People who have this anxiety about rates, it's really it's really the kind of thing where y- you don't need to worry about it. Is Explain to us, it, refinancing isn't that
1: hard, right? It's relatively painless. Exactly. It, it's the same process you, that you go through, meaning the same documentation, except there's not a hard stop closing date. Um, normally, a refinance takes anywhere from 30 to 45 days, just like the purchase takes. Um, but it's a lot less expedited process. Obviously, we'd need to get an appraisal. And many times, especially with a pandemic, we didn't need to get that. With all the automation and doing loans these days, you can run that loan through an automated underwriting system and not even require an appraisal. So we were closing a lot of refinances in two to three weeks.
0: That's great. All right, so let's give a kind of a, a state of uh, state of the mortgage industry right now. So as we're recording this, we're, we're smack in the middle of summer 2022. Yeah. So tell me, as you look over the mortgage horizon, right, what uh, what is what is the landscape look like these days? So I don't and I'm not I'm not talking about rates. I'm talking about types of products. What are what are you know, what are clients gravitating toward? What should they know about that they don't know about? What should they be careful of or avoid? Well, wow, it's a pretty broad question. Uh, <laughs> I, I know it's but I, I yeah. want to make sure I got it all out. So let's start with. What what's something what's something that people what what's a mortgage product that is really attractive to people that that you're finding you know is is working really well in in this economic environment? Well,
1: especially to your point before, we're doing a lot more ARMs adjustable rate and mortgages than we've done in the past. Uh, you know, with rates of diving, it made no sense to do ARMs in the past because the fixed rates were just as good. Now, what you're seeing is you know the 5, 7, 10, and even a 15-year arm makes more sense for somebody buying a home. Because to your point before, you're probably only going to spend, the average person's spending, I think it's the status, three to seven years in that home. If you're a first-time home buyer, you're going to outgrieve that place pretty quick. Your, your life is going to change whether a marriage, a divorce, or kids, or something. And there's, it's usually on your second or third transaction or purchase that you're going to be in that house a long time. We're talking... You know 15 plus years so a lot more arms right now because they have better rates than a fixed rate product.
0: okay now what's out there that is considered like exotic where you would be like hey listen this is only right for you know, a certain type of person, what, what types of, and, and many, many people don't know that there are, that there are different like flavors, if you will, of mortgages. So what's out there now, I remember one property. So I used to, I used to invest in real estate like a hundred yep. years ago. And on one property, I had this adjustable rate mortgage with like a balloon payment. And the idea was, Hey, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to flip it or sell it in three or four years before the balloon payment kicks in. Right. And you know, it was like a race to make sure that the value didn't go down before yep. I got rid of of it, what types of products are out there now that you know people? You know people may hear about that. You're like, hey, listen, we got to be a little careful of these.
1: Yeah, I mean, interest-only programs still still exist. Uh, people who they will buy a home and they they just let hey, that interest-only payment for five, seven, ten years, and they're willing to take that risk and they understand that risk. That makes sense for that particular person. Maybe a little bit savvy of the market. Uh, another program and you knowing this from being an investor, there's a lot of renovation rehab type loans out there that make a lot of sense. Over the pandemic, people didn't want to move, didn't want to sell. Hey, we're going to put an addition on our house. We're going to redo the bathrooms and kitchens. We can do those types of programs. You being in South Florida, you're probably well aware of reverse mortgages. That's for someone older who has a lot of, you have to be over the age of 62, has a lot of equity in their home, and you want to pull that equity out and actually instead of paying a mortgage every month, get paid by that mortgage every month. So, those are, a lot of the exotic programs went away after 2009, just because they were too risky. Probably the product you were talking about was an option arm, and those programs blew up on a lot of people and a lot of lenders. <laughs> so, they went away. <laughs> and you we have yet to see, and don't get me wrong, as a lender, those programs weren't bad, but they were meant for a particular borrower. And I think in many times, loan officers and borrowers they you know it was a nice option and they probably shouldn't have been put into that program product cuz they didn't understand
0: so i want to i want to get into the process of you kind of interviewing the home buyer to determine what's a good fit for them before we do that tell me about the subprime market and you know to the extent that it that it exists what it looks like today compared to like 2000 whatever 5 6 um, explain what subprime is and then tell us what it looks like today and compare it to back then.
1: Yeah. Sub, subprime in the past, like when I got in the business in 2001, um, 2002 was basically based on a risk and you could, basically everyone could get a loan for 0% down. They were just going to add in, in a percentage rate that risk. After 2008, 2009, obviously, a lot of those programs and lenders went out of business because that risk was just too high. And those types of loans were getting bundled in with other good type loans. Um, most of those lenders have never come back. Uh, and again, you know, it's debatable whether there was a pledge for them or not. I would say right now, as far as a subprime market, really not a subprime market, you're looking at kind of alt-doc type deals. I don't think the stated stateds ever going to come. You know, the stated income stated asset loans are ever going to come back the way they were, but they're starting to come back a little bit. And there's a lot of stipulations on those. I think still FHA is used as a subprime program. I know that's how I use it when folks don't have good credit and they need to go to high loan, high loan-to-value, and high debt-to-income. That's why I use them. Um, but you you are starting to see some. Low, lower doc type loans come out in the marketplace, especially for, for so
0: uh, self-employed borrowers. So that's what I was just going to ask. So let's 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 walk through what the process looks like for somebody who maybe is a is an entrepreneur in their late 30s, let's say, and um you know the credit's terrible because they took a risk on themselves. Their business is doing well now, so they can put some cash down. Is it you know what what it what is what does it look like these days for somebody whose credit score is like below six hundred and twenty? And you know, th- th- maybe they can put thirty percent down or fifty percent down. Are they going to be able to get into a conventional mortgage, or are you going to have to, you know, put them into something that is for is for higher risk level?
1: Yeah, if they're if they're lower than six hundred and twenty, they are going to be in an FHA or one of those other type programs that we can you know that are that there's, only a handful of people that will even touch those right now. Uh, if their credit score is below 580, it's going to be difficult for them to even get them into FHA right now, let alone something else. Nobody's willing to take that risk yet. Um, and, and that's folks like that when their credit's that damaged. I usually connect them with some sort of credit coach or credit company to help them, you know, get their credit to a certain point we can land upon them. So. Regardless of how much weight they have to put down, nobody's going to take that risk if they have that bad of a payment history.
0: Yeah, um, what do you do with people who are uh, who are purchasing investment property? So, say I got my own, I got the home that I live in, right, what? and I have a little bit of equity in it, but I don't want to do like a home equity loan to buy something else what do you do with investors how can you how can you help investors cuz i guess technically it's a greater risk if it's an investment property cuz the theory is people would be more willing to walk away from an investment property than the home where they live so what what do you what do you do with people who are investors is there is there a heavier documentation requirement what type of you know what type of uh, products make sense for them are there a whole separate set for investment uh you know even if it's just single family residential how does it work same basically
1: the same programs you've had if this was a primary or second home uh it's worth the documentation it's the same plus you're going to have to document if you're getting rental income from that unit uh because that's figured into your debt to iterations as well the main difference is the rates are going to be a little bit higher. As you pointed out, the risk is a little bit higher, and the down payment's a little bit higher. You know, because they think about it: if I'm lending you money, out, it's an investment property, which you're more apt to lock away from. I want you to have a little bit more skin in the game. So, down right. payments more. Documentation is relatively the same, and rates are going to be a little bit higher. So
0: now, Greg, I'm your I'm your nephew, and I'm I'm going to buy a home for the first time. Um, how much How much do you tell me to put down? Um, what's your, you know, what's your counsel to me, uh, in shopping for a loan? What should I be doing?
1: I right, really, that's, I think, I have that conversation daily with first-time homebuyers, and that's really a personal decision. You know, a, a lot of them come in that they think they need 20% down. Uh, some come in that they realize you only have to put three or 3% down, or three to three and a half percent depending on what kind of loan program the credit you have. Um, it's really a personal decision. I'm a big fan, especially of that first house of, of putting five or ten percent down. If that monthly payment doesn't scare you and it's affordable, obviously you don't want to make yourself house poor. Uh, mortgage insurance right now is not that expensive. If you're put, if you got good credit and putting down five to ten percent, just did two of those, where even on a decent sized loan, that monthly payment was only thirty, you know, forty to fifty bucks a month, which is not a big, big payment for you know people making decent money and if you can leverage more money especially in that first home and you start understanding how home ownership works that's only going to benefit you when you sell that house make you know make your money back from the your equity and move on to buy another place okay so let's say that
0: we're um we're thinking about so I'm I'm buy, buying a home and I have I have more money to put down Interest rates are a little bit higher now, but if I put more money down, I can get my, I can get probably in theory, I can get my monthly payments to be less, right? And then I can always come back to you and we can, we can refi it later at a lower rate. I can pull, I can potentially pull out some of that equity. What are you seeing these days? I know like six weeks ago or five months ago, you know, the people were, people were paying above listing price for the home. So maybe there wasn't any equity. What are you seeing now? Is there, you know, is there an opportunity for you to, in two or three years, have some substantial equity refinance and maybe pull
1: a little money out? Has the market cooled to that point yet? It has to really cool. Not in—I know you're in South Florida. I'm in mean Chicago, but I lend all over the country. I don't think the market's cooled to that point yet. Yeah. Um, you know, the, there's still a lot more demand than there is uh, supply right now in most markets, not just the ones we mentioned. I'd say, you know. It's just not as overheated as it was about a month or two ago.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, what what got you into the mortgage business in the first place? Which it's a fascinating business if you're if you're good with numbers. I think it could be it could be a really great uh, it could be a really great place to uh, to to be and to make a living. What got you interested in the mortgage industry in the first place?
1: In the late '90s, when I was a bachelor living in Chicago, I, like many people, got interested into uh, real estate investing. And at one point, I owned a couple multi-units here in Chicago, and the gentleman that actually helped me do a lot of my financing in the beginning, I ended up being in a wedding with in the in uh, 2000. And I remember him saying to me, and I was in sales at the time, you should come work with me. I remember saying to him, I have no idea what the heck you do. And sat down with him, went through the numbers, you know, actually my undergrad degree is in engineering, so I love numbers, and realized, wow, I can... I can really do well doing this and I don't have to kill myself. And what a lot of people don't realize either is a loan officer like myself at a mortgage bank, not in a big box bank or not in a call center, uh, we're 100% commission. So this is a buy referral game. And mm-hmm. that was kind of a paradigm shift from being a salesperson with their, a base salary and commission where I was going to 100% commission deals. So I was kind of taking a bet on myself as well. But luckily, at that point in my life, I was willing to do so. and could. I didn't have a wife, didn't have kids, didn't, you know. So I took the leap in January of 2002, and really haven't looked back. It was kind of kind of dicey in 2008, 2009, but we stuck it through and I've seen a couple of those cycles since. So
0: let's let's talk about the the business that that you're actually in, the business that you run. You have you have two sets of customers, essentially, right? So your, your first set of customers is the, uh, is the person who you're doing the loan for, obviously you want to take care of them. You want to get them the best deal that you possibly can. You want it, you want them to feel good about what they're paying. You want them to feel good about the process so that's your first set of customers, but your second set of customers is and maybe you even have a third set. Your second set of customers is realtors, right? Because the homeowner will go to the realtor first and then the 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 realtor will say, "Listen, if you want if you want like maybe I, you're pre-qualified over here, but if you want a second look, I got a great guy, he can he can give you, a, you know, a second look." But then you might have a third set of customers and that might be maybe your real estate attorney who comes across a snag in the deal or something and says, listen, this is your, you know, your lo- i read through your loan docs. You're not going to qualify anymore because the house has this with it. Let's call Craig. Craig can figure out something, some way to get you out of that. Explain to people how you approach each of those constituencies and maybe a constituency I miss because those are all places where you get business.
1: Right. I you'd usually throw on there is financial advisors, CPA, Man. divorce attorneys because there's always loans there. Um, honestly, it all starts from getting those referrals and taking care of that, that client, that borrower. Honestly, you want to educate them. You want to help them along the way. Everybody's a little bit different with technology, uh, their knowledge and how much they want to know. Some of them really do want to know how the sausage is made and some can care less. That's your job. You take care of it. Um, so it's really taking care of that client from the first conversation you have with them you know, whether it's a text to an email or a phone call, to the time that they get to closing and, and they close. And a lot of it continues then because we end up selling that loan on a secondary market. So we're still educating them then of, hey, here's who's, you're going to get the bill, not from us. You're going to get it from someone else. Uh, so just being available and knowledgeable and, and accessible to those clients, I think is the best thing. Uh, as far as the realtors and financial advisors and CPAs, it's being professional. It's, it's more of a business-to-business play. And my big thing for a lot of those folks is, how can I help your business as well? I mean, every, every realtor I call has 10, 20 lenders calling them and saying, send me deals, send me deals, send me deals. The question is, how are you different? Why why would I refer my deals to you? And I kind of look at it from the standpoint of getting, taking care of that borrower and getting them to start to finish, closing on time with competitive rates and being good to them. That's, that's the baseline. If every lender is not doing that, then... Why are you referring the deals? Where I think the value add comes in from my side that I hope lender realtors that you speak with that I know is I am constantly after them to say, how can I help your business grow? Uh, you know, whether it's, hey, we can do events, we can do mailers, we can do, you know, right now it's a lot of social media stuff. It's things like podcasts. How can, how can I help your business grow? What would be beneficial for you? And that's that's where my value I believe comes in. like we said that all the other stuff is just baseline.
0: yeah what what types of education do you do you do to like residential realtors to like they have to be able to speak the language. They don't have to have intimate knowledge of how you know of how mortgages work or what the mortgage market is like. They don't have to have your level of knowledge, but they have to be able to at least speak the language. so, do you do like any education for realtors and how often should a realtor like come to you and say, you know Craig give me let me buy you let me buy you lunch and give me give me a half hour or 40 minutes on what's going on in the mortgage market today so that I can speak knowledgeably right
1: in the past uh, and this is this is upended by the pandemic we were doing smaller groups come in doing educational sessions. We we're trying to keep them eight to ten uh, realtors we were doing them every other week. And like you said, we were bringing them usually up to speed on what was going on with lending, guideline changes, mortgage insurance, things like that, and trying to give them some knowledge. We were doing a lot of classes on social media. You know, At, at that point in time, Instagram was a big deal. Facebook's always been a big deal. How do you use social media to boost boost your sales and get your name out there? Uh, of course, with the pandemic, that got abended, and we're starting to get back into that now. And again, with realtors, some of some just every transaction we have it pops up and they want to know, and that's when you have one. Should explain to them what's going on and why. Uh, and some want, like you said, some want that level of detail and understand how it, it goes, and some don't. Some don't care. Of um, but it's I always try to explain to them, hey, here's why this happened. You know, it's not me, it's not you, it's not even the borrower. It's here's here are the guidelines because they are kind of set in set in stone yet they always change as well.
0: All right, so let's let's do this and then I'm I'm going to I'm going to ask you to give us three things to think about, but let's walk through the process with people so there's somebody listening to this, somebody watching this now who's going to buy a home in 6 months. So let's start 6 months out. Let's let's first start with pulling their credit report to you know to do a double check, right? Isn't that like the first thing they should probably do, like as far in advance as possible, to see what's on
1: there? I would, what do you where do you recommend they go to to check on that stuff? Well, they can pull their own credit report, but a lot of the credit reports that are pulled by consumers is exactly that, it's a consumer credit report. So normally, I have you know in this day of data, I have a lot of people calling me saying, "Hey, I already know what my credit score are so you know, they're, they're 830 or 840. That's what they're getting from Credit Karma or Credit Wise. L- one of them is consumer lending. What we pull as lenders is a little bit different. It's, it's, a, it's a FICO and it's a different level of FICO. So usually the scores we pull are a little bit lower. So that a lot of people are put off by that. I think the first step, if somebody's even considering buying, whether it be in two months, two years, talk to a lender, give me a call, have initial either an initial conversation or well, a lot of people don't even want to go that far. Hey, here's, you know, I can email people my link. I can text them my app, complete that loan application so I can get your information. I can know the whole picture. It's pretty tough to, be, to diagnose the problem if I don't know all the details. And once you ha- you know, if you're dealing with an experienced lender who has those details, it's pretty easy to say, here's exactly what you qualify for, which normally people qualify for a lot more than they'd want to spend. Here's where current rates are. Um, and here's the documentation me or any other lender would need to get in order to get your loan approved. And you know most of the, that documentation, it is standard. And I always follow up with a, like a PDF spreadsheet of what all the numbers look like on your purchase, purchase. Now, obviously, we don't know what you're buying. So a lot of the figures in that are estimates. And usually I estimate them on the high side knowing they're going to be lower when we get to close. So
0: what if you're self-employed, right? So you you want to make sure that if you're self-employed that your business has financial statements because you're probably going to need those too. What else do you need if you're self-employed? Uh, you need
1: at least to be self-employed for two years. So that's, right. that's the guideline. Everybody needs enough if you're self-employed. We, we need you there two years. We're going to need your business tax returns for two years. We're going to need your P&Ls. We're going to need your balance sheet for two years. Um and we're going to need you to at least have some some income from there that you know you're paying taxes on. Like I always tell folks, you can't tell me you make two hundred grand and tell Uncle Sammy make twenty. I got even.
0: That's I, the that right. You hit it right on the head right there. Right. So
1: that's the really tough part. What do you what do you do with those people, Craig? Um, well, a lot of them. I have a couple of this right now that uh, you know either they're going to change how they pay their taxes in the next year or two. Or depending on how their 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 business is, you know you can add back a lot of depreciation you can you can there are programs out there for self-employed people like that uh, but their their terms are a little bit not as good if they you know Qualifying the loan. Um, talk just briefly
0: about like if you're you know if your credit's not great or if you uh, if you're self-employed, does getting a cosigner help? What does that mean? How long does the cosigner have to stay on the loan? If the you know if the if the borrower performs for a certain period of time, can the can the cosigner come off? Explain explain that to yeah, folks. Yeah,
1: normally that's that's action number one is throwing somebody else on the loan who can help, who has is gainfully employed and can help the debt to income ratios on there. Uh, and that person has to stay on the loan until they refinance it off. So, once you do a loan together, you and I do a loan together, we can't just yank you off the loan. You're always on that loan. So, that yeah. person's always going to stay on until you, know, you can refinance and maybe that, that self-employed borrower can qualify by themselves. So, yeah, okay, that's, that's done quite often. And how how much does that help? Can that
0: you know can that take a terrible borrower and make them qualified, or is that just to put you over the top?
1: That's going to help you if you have a good borrower. You're at honestly help with the debt to embrace, debt to income ratio, but it's not going to help you with the credit. The credit scores ah. are always going to default to the two to the lowest of the two. So again, if you and I are on a loan, you have good credit, I have terrible credit, it's going to default to mine. So,
0: ah, I see.
1: Okay. All
0: right. So as we head into uh, into, you know, the whatever whatever the real estate market is or, or will become in the in the next few months, what's your what's your forecast for your business? What do you see for the residential loan business on the horizon toward the end of twenty twenty two into twenty twenty three?
1: I think for the rest of twenty twenty two it's gonna be pretty pretty flatlined. Uh, obviously the refinances, you know, with the rates where they are, you're not gonna to see too many refinances. That's why you see the big you know, call you That's all they do. That's why you see them laying off thousands of employees because they're not going to do. Change. As far as the purchase market, it's probably going to stay pretty flat. Um, there's, you know, when you talk to realtors, there's still not enough supply out there for the demand they have. The good thing is, you see some prices coming down. Uh, so, you know, you're it's still going to stay pretty flat. But I'm here in the Midwest. You're in Florida. So in the Midwest, usually the purchase market starts dying off in November and December. And Florida and other warm weather states, it's going to stay pretty steady. Um, yeah. And then usually the purchase market in the Midwestern states or the Northern states starts really getting kicked off right after Super Bowl. And that's where next year in 2023, I think there'll be enough, hopefully, pent up demand. People are used to the interest rates being a little bit higher at that point. You'll see it. You know, we'll have a good spring, hopefully. Knock not that on wood here next spring.
0: Well, I mean, historically, even if interest rates go up another point, historically, they're still in great shape. Explain, explain that to people. I mean, they're, they're not going to take Dave Lorenzo's right. word on that. Explain, explain to people what I'm talking about.
1: Yeah. Historically, in the past 51 years since they've been looking at interest rates, to your story before, your dad you know, had an interest rate of 13%. And that's what rates were for a long time, especially in the 70s. It's, it's really a recent, I'd say in the last 10, 15 years, the rates have been this low. When I got in the business in 2002, I remember selling a 9% 30-year fixed. And and again, nobody blinked at it because that's where rates were then. It was very relative. It's just become so relative in the past five to 10 years that rates are in the twos, threes, and fours. Oh, my goodness. They just, you know, 30 or fixed five and a half. I can't do that. But yeah. But really, people are going to get used to it because that's
0: going to be the new norm. Now, one one last question that just kind of popped into my mind, because you mentioned Florida before, a phenomenon we've seen here. So I live in a, I, I live way out west. I'm on the border of the Everglades, basically. My backyard, there's my pool, there's a fence, there's a lake, and then there's the Everglades. Literally, my my backyard is the Everglades. But my neighborhood was overrun by people from the north moving down here during COVID. So what ended up happening if people didn't sell their homes what they ended up doing was getting astronomical rental rates for their homes how does so if you get a second home or you get an investment property and you're able to you know you're able to get a really good a really nice rent from it how does that impact your the the mortgage i mean it just it just affects the debt to income ratio right
1: correct usually the rule of thumb on rental income once you've had it you're allowed to use 75% of that rental income as your own income moving forward. So that helps with debt to income ratios. Whether you're buying okay. whether you're buy a refinancing, we're still allowed to use that. In some cases, you can use the higher percent So you don't you don't necessarily need to do a
0: P&L on that property and present it. It's just, it's just are it affects you personally in your debt to income ratio. And is that is that true? So what if you're buying it in a in a special purpose entity? Like you buy that. I mean, I don't know anybody who buys rental property this way, but let's say you did. You bought the house in an LLC. Would that matter for the mortgage
1: purposes? Well, technically, but the mortgage can't be in an LLC. I mean, there's caveats. Oh, okay. There's caveats too on this. Getting a normal loan, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, a lot of investors, they won't lend money to the LLC. You'd eventually oh, okay. put the title in LLC. And mm. there's some technicalities there. Again, caveat here. There are programs out there that lend directly from to an LLC, but those rates are going to be a little bit higher because think about it from the bank's perspective, I'm lending to an entity that has no history and it it was newly formed and it's based on a building. That's <laughs> that's I mean really think about that's commercial law. That's exactly
0: first month. Now, now let's let's start talk let's start talking about uh, 2005 six seven again. Yes. Um, real real quick do do um, give us a couple of minutes on um, and it's probably not applicable to residential, but I want people to hear the term. Talk about hard money. Um, you know what is what is hard money? Talk a little bit about private loans and. You know who uses them and why. Again, it's probably not applicable to residential, but educate people just in case they hear the terms.
1: Right. Hard money is usually when people can't get lends by a lender like us. And we have 42 outlets, whether it's a bank or an insurance company that lends money, and they have their guidelines and parameters. If an individual can't get money that way, they go to a hard money lender, which the interest rates and terms are much less desirable for a hard money lender. Uh on the residential side, we never really rated that. If somebody's at that point, I would advise them to stay away because that's that's blood money. We're talking interest rates in the high double digit, you know, fifteen to twenty percent, and that's just right not worth it. I owning a home's not, not worth it. That's what you're paying yeah. now.
0: you're p- paying like appliance and furniture interest rates for your home it's is not is not yeah. a good idea. Credit card. All right, so Craig, I want you to uh, I want you to think about three things we should take away from our time together. While you're thinking of those three things, I want to remind people that you heard earlier in the show we did a Sandrowski Business Minute, and Sandrowski Corporate Advisors is a sponsor of the show. If you are a uh, the owner of a private business, so your business is privately held, and you need some help reducing your tax risk, or if you are a professional, and I know there's a lot of you out there who are professional service providers who, who listen and watch the show, and you want to get a valuation on a business or you need any type of specific asset value, for example, if you're a family law attorney and the two parties are fighting over the value of a certain asset, Sandrowski can help you with that. They work with privately held businesses and families of wealth. They work with professional service providers and they're the CPA firm that the pros trust. So if you need help with any of these things, I want you to call this number. It's 866-717-1607. 866-717-1607. Sandrowski Corporate Advisors, they're a CPA firm with a different perspective. We're also brought to you by My Revenue Roadmap Guide. So, if you are a professional service provider and you're thinking about growing your business and you need a business development plan, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. I've got one for you. You can use my business development plan, the same business development plan I customize for my clients. You can customize it for yourself. Here's what you need to do go to this website revenueroadmapguide.com revenueroadmapguide.com enter your contact info and you can download the business development plan i use with my clients you can customize it for yourself i customize it for them revenueroadmapguide.com it's my gift to you for joining us on the show today so if you're in Chicago you're in Illinois and you need a mortgage give craig a call here's his phone number 312 312- Going to put his email address and all his contact info down in the show notes. You can reach out to him today. All right, Craig, so let's talk about the three things we should take away from our time together.
1: Before I get to that, I would tell you I'm licensed in 24 states oh so if you need a loan in 24
0: states and you don't know which state you're in and whether craig's licensed there call craig anyway if he's not licensed there he'll find somebody to get you a damn loan wherever you are you need to borrow 10 bucks you call craig
1: that's true even if uh you know i have 24 licenses personally if if it's in a state that i am not licensed in i'm going to hand you off to a colleague that i work with we're licensed license in all 50 states so just this totally perfect. Um, All right. So uh, if you need a loan
0: anywhere in the United States, call Craig. He can be reached at
1: 312 961 Away from our time together. Uh, the, the three things I wanted to emphasize are if you're looking to reconnect, looking for a loan, or you're interested in anything with real estate, start early. You know, give myself a call, give a a call, educate yourself on the process so you fully understand it. And and ask questions, Um, that's, I love answering questions from people all day about the process, about lending. So they they fully understand what they get themselves into. So number two, actually, you know, the asking questions was number two, start early was number one. And the last one was, you know, reach out to somebody who's accessible, knowledgeable, has a good team. And has a good background to do this. I mean, I I love doing this. I've been doing it for you know over twenty years now. It started off you know as a job, and now it's become a passion. Where I just want to help you. So even if even if I can't help you, I'm going to be the first person to push you in the right direction when you talk to, you. whether it be for a loan mine or you know like we talked about this other exotic loans.
0: Perfect. So there's one number you need to call. If you need money to buy residential real estate, give Craig a call 312-961-7763, 312-961-7763. Craig, thank you so much for joining us today. It was an absolute pleasure having you on. It was a great interview. You gave us a lot of information and... People need to go back and re-listen to this when they're ready to buy a home. So this is a show you want to bookmark. Craig, thanks for joining us today. It was great having you. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. Alrighty, folks, that'll do it for this episode of the Inside BS Show. My name is Dave Lorenzo. We're here every day with a brand new interview for you until tomorrow. Here's hoping you make a great living and live a great life.